So we didn't actually write a series together until we got to um, the Nick Kane adventures. And then that was actually handled. The first book was handled, he'd do a chapter, he'd leave me in a bad spot, and I'd write a chapter, I'd leave him in a bad spot. So it was kind of fun. It was more, there was a lot of that where we're just thinking, we have no idea what another guy's going to do. Welcome to The Author Biz, the show that's all about the business of being an author. I'm your host, Stephen Campbell, and this is episode number 38. Wherever you are, however you listen, thanks for spending some of your time with me today. We're covering two topics in today's show. The first is co-writing, the idea of writing a book with another person. In the world of traditional publishing, think James Patterson with his private series, among the many other books that he's written with co-authors. The private series has been co-written with at least three different co-authors. Then there's Clive Cussler, who's been using co-writers for years. In the indie world, there are several examples of some extremely successful co-writing projects, and my guest today has been part of several of those. Our second topic is genre hopping building an audience in one genre, and then writing in another without using a pseudonym. Whether it's the cozy mystery writer who launches a spicy romance series, or the paranormal writer who decides to write action-adventure. What happens within your reading audience when you launch something in a completely different genre? Fortunately for us, today's guest, Aiden James, has some pretty good experience with both questions. Aiden's Amazon bio says he's the best-selling author of Cade's Cove, The Judas Chronicles, and The Nick Kane Adventures. But as you'll hear in the interview, there's a lot more going on in Aiden's world than what's mentioned in the bio. I'm not going to try and cover everything that Aiden's currently working on, or we won't have time for the interview, but I will let you know that we have a first for the author biz. In addition to writing, co-writing, genre hopping, and restoring a grand old house... Aiden is also the lead singer in a band, and we'll be playing some of his music during the show today as well. This interview was an absolute blast for me to do. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Aiden James, welcome to the Author Biz. Thank you, Stephen. It's a pleasure to be here, man. It's a treat to have you here. I've been following your work for quite some time on Facebook, and uh, you've had a, a varied career. For listeners, we've got two topics today. We're going to talk first about working with co-authors. You see these books all the time that are written by author A and author B. I'm curious about how all that works, and I suspect you are too. Aiden's done a lot of that, so he will be answering our questions. And the second topic we're going to be talking about today is genre hopping. Aiden writes in a number of different genres, and so I'm curious how that all of that works with regard to finding a readership in different genres, and, and does it transfer back and forth? So, let, Aiden, let's get started and, and talk about co-authors. You have written with a number of different people. I've, I've just written down a few of them. Uh, J.R. Rain, Michelle Wright, James Wymore, uh, there are more. Yes. Uh, f- first, how did these partnerships come about? Well, um, the very first one was, was, was with uh, J.R. Rain, and believe it or not, uh, the Judas Chronicles was also supposed to be a co-written series. That was going to be our first one, and there's different ways of doing it. At the time, um, J.R. was working with Scott Nicholson mm-hmm. on, on a book that he had, and they were just trading chapters, and it was a new thing for him. He had never really done it before, and then he would got done with that and thought, well, we'll go ahead and do one too. 
because he had a lot of ideas. He used to, a lot of people don't realize he used to be a screenwriter for, um, I think Paramount years ago. So he had a ton of ideas mm -hmm. that he, you know, he didn't want to just let go to waste. So the idea of Judas Iscariot, you know, looking for his 30 coins, uh, for redemption was uh, something that he approached me about. And the way that we decided to do that was I would go ahead and write, you know, based on his outline, mm -hmm. and then he would go in and add his flavoring to to it. But I had so changed everything because there were certain things in the outline I thought, well, no, I don't really want to do it this way. And it just didn't ring true on some things for me. So I ended up changing the book so radically that he, by the middle of it, he gave it to me and said, you know, here's my blessing. You go ahead and take over and it's all yours. So we didn't actually write a series together until we got to um, the Nick Kane adventures. Uh -huh. And then that was actually handled. The first book was handled. He'd do a chapter. He'd leave me in a bad spot, and I'd write a chapter. I'd leave him in a bad spot. <laughs> so it was kind of fun. It was more, there's a lot of that where we're just thinking, we have no idea what another guy's going to do. And then he got immensely busy again, so that books two and three, um, I had pretty much an idea of what, what uh, J.R.'s style was at that point. So I thought, well, let's, I'll, I'll go ahead and do it. And then he went in and, and worked on them. And then when we got to book four, uh, which was a Curse of the Druids, I had so changed as an author that at that point um, we thought, well, you know what, it's going to be me. You know, he felt like I'm going to be tearing this book up again to put my style back in, so I took over. Mm -hmm. So from that point on, it's been just me. Okay. Uh, the, the, there's different ways of doing things because by doing that, uh, the first one it was more of an outline, and then it got filled in. Um, and the Lisa, first one being the, the Judas idea. Yes, yes okay. sorry about right. that. And then uh, I did the same thing for um, uh, Lisa Collicutt for the Serendipitous Curse uh, books. Um, the very first one was mm -hmm. done with the, and out, my outline was very complete. And then she took over, um, matched my style as, you know, as best she could. I didn't want to be a tyrant, so she went ahead and did that. And, <laughs> And then she took over, and then, so that's, you know, from that point, she had the just of the story. So then I go through now as an editor to, you know, add little things here and there that, that are my style in there, too. So you kind of get a blending that way. Kind of what, what J.R. does with me, or was doing with me for the, um, uh, the Nick Kane books. And uh, then there's others, uh, like uh, well, with James, it's a lot of the, the um, actuator is really him. He's just brilliant, brilliant idea. And then the rest of it was me helping him bring the characters more to life, you know, make them a little more um, broad-minded, you know, have a little more romance in it, have just a lot more character development. And he's now running off with that, too, so it's really good. And um, I did the same thing with uh, Hurricane Hurricane's Chalice with uh, Mike Robinson because the very first two Talisman books were written by me. I just don't have the time to finish it. Mm -hmm. So so we went back. We've actually written that one twice. And the first time we did it, and uh, we got some comments from readers, and they thought, and I'm very sensitive to that, thinking, well, if something really needs to be changed, then let's go ahead and go back. So we went back and rehashed that third book. It's a lot better now. I, I really like it. So there's a give and take on that where he'd write, and I'd come in, and I'd put a lot of me into it and then move on. That's kind of what happens with Michelle Wright in uh, Judas Reflections. She brings her style she does a lot of the research, almost all of it. Um, in fact, I would say 90% of it is her, as far as like uh, with the, you know, we had Jack the Ripper and uh, uh, White Castle books, uh, uh, the White, uh, 
Whitechapel, excuse me. Mm-hmm. And um, then we had um, just some older stuff that was that had a stigmatic, stigmatic case that was in the second book. And then the one that's coming out later this year is with uh, Joan of Arc, really good one. And then I go back in, and then I put a lot of my personality in and change, you know, correct certain things about characters that I have insights to, like with uh, with Judas and then also with Roderick, who's been a, a really big character in the last three. I mean, of those, that series, too. So, And and what's fun is that sometimes when my co-writers come up with some ideas that I think are really cool, I'll take those ideas and bring them into other books. So with Michelle, I went ahead and Jack the Ripper was very fascinating to me. And uh, the character she made of Ratabor, he was actually, I brought him back in um, Pyramid of Coins, the sixth book of the Judas Chronicles. Mm-hmm. And then um, her creation of Rachel and the Curse of the Stigmata, uh, Curse of Stigmata uh, that was uh, somebody I brought back in the final one, Victory of Coins. Because I just really admired that character. I thought, you know, I can I can use these folks again. Plus, in my in my I guess um, universe that I'd created in my head, I thought, you know, that these people are not just going to disappear, especially if they're immortals. They're going to show up again. So I thought it's just not consistent enough to have them be in one series and then never be in the other one, especially if it's a later one. So. And Does for, that make sense? It, oh, it absolutely makes sense. And for people who aren't familiar with your books, we're going to get to those. But first, okay. we're, going to, we're going to dig into this a little bit more. I'm, yeah. I'm going to dig into something you said early on. You provided a, a, a very complete outline. What's a very complete outline? Is it 10 pages, 50 pages? Sometimes it's like 20, okay. roughly about 20. And what it is is that it's, it's usually got the details and point, point style as far as here's what needs to be in this chapter. But some, because I was intending to do that first one myself that I gave to Lisa, um, I had some writing in there, too, because that will happen for me when I'm kind of getting an idea of what I want to put in a book. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'll get the full scene in my head and some cool things as far as dialogue and that kind of thing will pop in and I'll go ahead and put it in there. And when I come back to do the outline, you know, I'm writing the actual book, it can help inspire, you know, either I can use the same thing that's there or I can use something similar. So that kind of outline is what you got instead of just a real general one. Uh, the one I got from JR when we did um, um, Plague of Coins was more of a standard one that you'd send to New York because he actually had. He came close to a deal for that series a long time ago mm-hmm. with um, St. Martin's, but they weren't really crazy about how it was put together. So, um, But the outline was really good. And then when I went with the outline, it just I thought, well, there's certain things that don't ring true. And I thought, I'm going to go ahead and change this. And I didn't realize how much I was changing until, uh, you know, he said, I don't even recognize this thing. (laughs) So it sounds like when you do this kind of thing with people, you have a very friendly relationship with them. Because it it would seem like if you're changing someone's characters and you didn't have that, that kind of relationship, there could be some hard feelings. That is true. And it, and you get, and I've always been really careful about, you know, finding folks like that. Like, uh, for instance, um, um, for the uh, the latest version of The Vampire's Last Lover, mm-hmm. um, I went ahead and um, got together with Patrick Burdeen, who was a big fan of the series and also was able to mimic a lot of my style in there to, to fix some things. And it's better now than it's ever been. So that's also a co-writing situation as well. And then down the road, we, he and I will actually do the other where he takes over on a, an outline or an idea because he knows enough of the characters and knows enough of the story. I'll be comfortable with it. And then I just come back in and, 
you know, add a little bit here and there, but just to make sure we're on the right path. Okay. Now, without asking you any specifics for any deal that you have with any co-writer, just mm-hmm. in general, um, it, how would you advise people if, if they're going to go down that co-writing path, how would you advise uh, someone to structure a deal in, in terms of money flow, responsibilities, things like that? Basically, it's going to be depending on how much you do and how much they do. I, I like to be very fair. I mean, I know that if you're, if you're, if you're going to work with someone like Clive Cussler or something, mm-hmm. you're going to get nothing or very little. You probably write the entire thing, and he's been doing this for years. If you look, you'll see little bitty authors in there mm-hmm. on on his covers. And from what I understand, those deals, of course, they're, they're they have the structure from the publisher as well. But it the, the lion's share of the money is going to him and to the the publisher. Not very much is going to the the co-writer in that sense, but they're getting the exposure. They're selling a lot of books, so they're actually making some pretty good money that t- there too. Right. So it doesn't really have to be that way. But for most deals, I would say, especially for those of us that are independent, um, I feel comfortable of doing as, a, as much close to a 50-50 split if it's, if it's going to be how much work they put into it. And if, they, if after a while <clears throat> they're doing most of it, then I have asked for less because uh, I just think that's fair. <clears throat> okay. And it sounds like you've been on both ends of the spectrum. In, in yes. some cases, you're the bigger name. In other cases, you're not the bigger name. That's correct. And and it's the same thing. Uh, JR is very fair with his, his splits as well. Um, we have one that we're going to be doing later this year, and this will be a totally different thing for me because I'll be mimicking his style completely as well as James Patterson and a couple others. So it's going to be a brand new thing for me, and, uh, but I'm looking forward to it. So there's not going to be a lot of me there, although there will be in a sense because when I put together, because I'm still putting together a lot of the idea, a lot of the plot, and so, but how it's delivered will be more along how he likes to write, which is really fast, short you know, sentences, more of a staccato type approach to, to right. how it's done. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so when you say James Patterson, you're talking about the, the, a James Patterson style. Yes, a James Patterson style, like the more modern one that he has. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also there's a, 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 a writer that we're both pretty fond of at the moment, A.J. Riddle. And uh, I like his style. And I've done similar stuff to where it'll be, it's called a, it's a different type of perspective of writing where either you have a third-person uh, version or you have a first-person it's usually what you see, but then it's kind of a lot of people are using this right now. A friend of mine, uh, Pepper Winters, is doing the same thing where each chapter is from one person's perspective. And then the next one, you come right back to a different character. And there usually be a heading saying who that character is. Okay. And uh, I've done something similar to that a little bit with uh, the Raven Mocker um, and also Cade's Cove a little bit where a chapter would be entirely from somebody else's perspective. Um but, and I like doing that, too. So it's different styles. Um, but as far as the, the split thing like you're talking about, um, yeah, it's just it's I would definitely suggest do what's fair. Because if you do what's fair, nobody has any hard feelings. Um, the chances of folks wanting to work with you, again, is really high. Um, you know, so it's, it's just it has to be that kind of thing. Now, if you've done most of the work, like say you're just about done and you just want somebody else to take over, like the the deal I had with, um, you know, with Patrick, it's more of a he's cleaning up some stuff. Well, then I should get the lion's share because mm-hmm. I wrote everything, you know. But there's coming a point where he and I are going to be working on some books that are going to be 50-50 split. Okay. It's coming up. 
And how, how so, does the accounting work for this? Is, does the money flow to one person and then it just gets distributed? It does. Okay. That's how uh, Jr. Went to his, uh, with his books, it goes to him. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, you know, with uh, the ones I have with CQ, it goes to them. And then they split it out between us because they're, they're also, you know, they've got skin in the game here, too. So, um, And then the ones that I'll be doing on my own, which are coming up uh, this year, later on this year, it'll be um, split by, um, you know, I'll be doing it. And then, look, you got to do the W-9s and all that good stuff. Yeah, how fun. So, fun. Yeah. yeah, that seems like it's right up uh, right up your alley. It does. I mean, it's, <laughs> I mean well, I'm, I'm used to doing it now. So, uh, you know, I've been, I've been self-employed with this for, it'll be four years at the end of June. Okay. So. How are, uh, do you, do you take great pains to spell out the responsibilities when you start one of these things or is it something that evolves? It evolves. It's more of a casual thing. I mean, you might approach somebody and say, hey, um, here's how we're going to do this. We're going to go ahead and split this such and such and such, um, you know, right off. In fact, uh, there's a, a graphic version of the Judas Chronicles coming out. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. Cool. It's, it's going to be really good. And it's uh, uh, the gentleman that's working with me is EJ, um, EJ Nate, and he's, uh, he lives in Cameroon. He's a very, very gifted uh, illustrator. So he had approached me about doing this, and of course we had we've uh, we were going to do just a fifty fifty split between us because you know it's my story and he's actually you know manifesting it all. Mm-hmm. And then we've also incorporated since we needed some help with coloring and um, put those final touches on. We've also incorporated Michelle Johnson, who has done almost all of my covers for the past year and a half. So she's just really really good. So it's getting a bigger. You know, it's getting a bigger pot, so it's splitting further. Mm-hmm. And then when this gets done, um, I'm going to approach, uh, you know, Jr. about it and see if he wants to, you know, put it under his label. Then, of course, there'll be a cut for him. If he decides not to, which is possible, I mean, he's always going to go with his gut, then um, then I'll do it myself. And that, But I feel really good about it. It's just a, it's a lot of fun. And, it's nice, and I, I leave a lot of freedom. He's changed a few things as far as images because, you know, it's going to be a different approach from that. And I don't like stepping on anybody's toes, so I just feel like I want to see what your interpretation is. That's how I actually do the audiobooks, too. You know, I'm really open to what somebody else is going to do or how they see it. And I might have some input if they're, like, way off. But if they're relatively close, I just let it be. When is this going to be released? Because it sounds fabulous. Uh, well, I was hoping to have it done in summer. But there are basically 128 pages of this thing. It's big, right? And um, and M- Michelle's working on it right now. She's got, I think she's almost done with the first. I think she, we've got eight pages that are colored, and then it's got to go back to EJ. He's going to have to put the dialogue in, and then at that point, the pages will be done. Um, we're actually going to. She's working on the cover for it right now. And once that comes out, I'll run it past Jr. first, and then uh, and then at that point, send it out. You know, to you know, just to give a teaser for what's coming down the road, and I'll be able to share some of that with everybody, and you know, probably via Facebook and Twitter, and and then we'll just go from there. But it's I'm really excited. We're, we're planning on doing all seven books. So, and uh, he's like I said, he's really gifted. It's got more of the 1960s type of style mm-hmm. of um, how what comics looked like back then, and maybe a little bit more modern, but not to that's not Pixar. You know, perfected to the to you know the extreme, but I like it because it's got a a warm feel to it, and 
I think it. I think I have a good feeling about it. We'll just see where it goes. It, it sounds really cool. I can't wait to see it. Now you mentioned audiobooks, and I, I don't really want to veer off into audiobooks, but I just yeah. have to ask, since you mentioned it, how are you doing the audiobooks? Are you doing the royalty share, or are you paying the narrator, or some combination of the two? Um, I'm doing royalty share at this point. Okay. Um, there was some. I mean, and, and, and I've gotten some, but. Uh, like the ones I have with uh, CQ, I mean, Curiosity Quills, mm-hmm. um, those I really don't have a lot of say in. I have enough right. say to, when, you know, the first guy that we picked to do the, the Talisman Chronicles, I got to be involved with the first book. The last two have been done, and then I got to hear them. Um, same thing was with, uh, when I, on my own, with the Ravenmocker, which I did through Cherry Hills Publishing. And it worked out really well. That that's actually my favorite of all of them so far. It's just it's so well done. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as like with like you know, going through ACX, mm-hmm. which I think a lot of folks are familiar with by now, um, it's better to do the royalty share. And if you come up with a um, a narrator that's having tough times, you know, or, or doesn't feel comfortable with that, you do have the option of uh doing a stipend right so um but the only trick with that is if you do that and you end up not being happy with the final product and i've got one that i'm not happy with at all uh you're stuck so your choices are just to because audible was funding it Mm -hmm. so you had to pay them back to get out of it oh okay (laughs) yeah that's uh that's not a good thing not any not something any of us want to do okay for people that have been listening um you can get a sense of this dilemma that i have in in talking to aiden normally when i interview an author i talk to them about a book or a series but there's a lot going on here in aiden's writing world so what I'd like to do, if it's okay with you, Aiden, is to focus yeah. on a couple. I'd like to focus on the Judas Chronicles and the Nick Kane series, and okay. just give listeners a sense of what the storylines are for each of those. Okay. Um, basically, the the, um, the Judas Chronicles, uh, the premise for it was Judas Iscariot still being alive as an immortal, uh, punished basically because, you know, he betrayed Jesus Christ. And then he found out, you know, I, I can't kill myself. He tried. It failed. He spent several, you know, centuries of, of a debauched living lifestyle, which most people would, I think. You know, if you knew that you weren't going to go anywhere and everything you did had no consequences, really, you would just live it up. But then when you start finding that, you know, all your friends, even new ones, continue to die because they're not immortal, but you are. Then it becomes a lot deeper as far as introspection, as far as finding out what you're here for. And eventually, you know, he does this, you know, he realizes he's got to find the coins. He thinks in his mind that that's, that's uh, part of his redemption. And there's a lot of evidence for it. You know, they, these things tend to glow blue and, and they're all cursed. So he knows that if I collect them, the world is better off. I'm closer to finding my way back home. And I don't want to give too much away of the story, but that's, that was a premise to begin with for him, but then mm-hmm. he finds, you know, he falls in love with a lady that when you open up the first book, she's really old now, but he loves her. And either he left her when she's young, he moves into, uh, you know, and later on in life and she's, you know, suffering from Alzheimer's and his own son that he finally entered into his life. He's the older man. And, you know, Judas is perpetually 30. Mm-hmm. So, but they've worked things out as far as, you know, a father son relationship and then to complicate the whole thing in that first, you know, I don't, like I said, I don't want to give too much away, but along the series, 
they start to get younger because they come in contact with something from the tree of life. And so now you have a brand new set of dilemmas. Mm-hmm. I mean, a dip of, uh, does he want to continue to find all this stuff like he should, or does he want to hang on? Because now he's got a good reason to stay. <laughs> so, and of course, you know, this guy's worked for the CIA. He's, He's been trained as an assassin through years, so there's a lot of action adventure. Uh, the villain is also uh, someone that's extremely bad and the, the, one of the main ones throughout the series, and he also benefits from the same uh, Tree of Life crystals that uh, have helped his family. They also have helped this guy stay immortal as well. So that's kind of the gist of it. I mean, it's a series that's now done. Um, yeah, the I'm seventh, really pleased with how it goes. The seventh book, Victory of Coins, uh, was came out in February, right? Yes. Okay, and that was the seventh and final. Yes. Yeah, there won't be any more. All right. So people that like to read a good series, it's a good chance to read the whole thing from start to finish. Yes. Okay, and, now let's talk about... And I did that about, on purpose. Uh-huh. Oh, um, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead and finish. Oh, the last point I was going to put is that so many series go on forever. And this one, it's really one big long book that mm-hmm. happens to be seven, seven installments. So you're talking about, you know, about four hundred thousand words, which would have been, you know, two or three novels, right? If it had been, if they're done as a trilogy, but they were done smaller, so they're a little bit faster. Uh, the action's bigger, but you really see an evolution of of this man um, from the start to the beginning. He's a totally different guy by the. By the time this thing ends, then then you meet in the first one. And you and I talked at one time on Facebook, Facebook chatting about book lengths. And I I am a big fan of short, action-packed books. I'm not a big fan of the book needs to be 300 pages because it needs to be 300 pages. I think the book needs to be the length that it needs to be to tell the story. And I think you do a fabulous job of of doing that. You start reading Thank you. and you just keep going until it's over and then you go, man, I, I wish I didn't have to wait for the next book. But I, I really enjoy that style of writing and it comes into play as well in the Nick Kane series, which is my favorite of your series, uh, of the things that you've written. I just, I love this series, uh, the action that it just, I don't know, I, I, I fell in love with the characters, you know, the first 30 pages of the first book and they just keep going on. So tell us about Nick Kane now and, and that series. Okay. Um, that was a creation of J.R. Rain completely to start with. I mean, uh, as far as the character, mm-hmm. and uh, you're talking about a character that's very flawed um, when it started in the first book. And then, then of course, then I started taking over, giving him a little more, a little more depth, but he still has those same qualities. Uh, you're, it's really basically more of a, a modern Indiana Jones type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically, he and his, his, kind of his, side, his sidekick, Ishii, they are um, thieves. They're basically they're, they're grave robbers, and uh, you know, basically, guys that will take stuff from archaeological sites uh, and then fence it. You know, they'll keep some of it and give it to uh, museums. So they still have a semi-conscious. So they call them they're like looters with a conscience. <laughs> so, uh, but it's basically, and of course, he keeps getting in these misadventures. Um, it's now taking on a a different. Um, angle with the the sixth book so but I, this thing can go on for a long time it's it's just a lot of fun but it's, it's basically supposed to be fun if people are wanting to read for serious archaeology uh, type uh, <laughs> adventures this is not the one to get 
there's some facts in there, and there, you know we try to keep it you know accurate. But for the most part, it's there's a lot of you know just fun, campiness, almost like your Saturday afternoon matinee type stuff. So and it, for me, it I I I can't remember which book it was. I think it was the third one in the series that came out right when I was like the day before I was getting ready to get on a plane, and I thought, what what a better thing to read? There there is no better thing to read than something like this. It's going to totally take your mind off everything between point A and point B, and you just love it the whole way, which is exactly what I did. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate that, Stephen. Okay, so we've we've talked about these two different series. You've mentioned a bunch of other things. We've I think we've talked about you've used the words vampire, uh, paranormal. Um, you have a book with uh, witches and warlocks in the title. Uh, you write suspense, fantasy, action adventure, and there's some romance in some of your books as well. So you write a lot of different genres. And I'll use myself as an example. I love the Nick Kane stuff, but I'm not a horror fan. So there are certain things that you write that I wouldn't read. And so the question comes up, not just for me, but for other authors who are out there that, are, that feel maybe pigeonholed in a, in a genre that want to write something else. Why do it? A, why do it? And B, what are the consequences of doing it? And then I'm pretty sure I'll have C, D, E, and F after that. <laughs> well, you do it because you're inspired. So that's the whole point behind doing any of this stuff, really. And, you know, if you want to take a chance on something, I suggest go ahead and do it. You just have to realize that not everybody's going to follow you. Um, I've had a lot of disappointment as far as um, Welcome to Denmark, the book you mentioned about the witches and warlocks. Uh-huh. I love it. And it's got so much humor. It's probably one of the funniest books I've ever written. And it's it's done okay, but it just really hasn't done that well compared to, you know, something like Nick Kane. I mean, Nick Kane outperforms it ten to one, hands down. And mm-hmm. same with the the Judas Chronicles. Um, so it's just it's some of it's going to be a risk. I think the biggest thing I would do, what I would mention though, is if you can tie a lot of different genres to your work, it makes it easier. Like uh, since I have a lot more romance type stuff, even just light romance in my books. That has opened up a lot of other readership that I wouldn't have otherwise. Mm-hmm. And some of that was just natural. I didn't really see it there. And then JR was the one who pointed out to me, um, saying, he said, you got a lot of that in there. So I thought, well, then he said, you need to start accentuating it because that's, you know, that's something that's, that's big in the marketplace. And you already have it. It's not going to be forced. You're not trying to be fake, you know, trying to just put something in there just to sell. It's something you actually do. So that's probably the biggest thing is you, you maximize what you're already doing, get that out there to where people know it, and then use those things to dabble into other areas. So if you're already doing some romance, and you, let's, let's say you're an action venture author like myself and you do some romance, why not just dip that over into paranormal more romance, especially if you like the supernatural? You can do it. Uh, same with the horror. It doesn't have to be, you know, goriness. I've got one book that is a little bit that way, but, you know, that was written way before the days of Kindle anyway, mm-hmm. and, or ebooks and stuff. So, And it was written when the, you were supposed to have longer stories. Uh, the industry has completely changed. I mean, the smaller novels are actually being picked up by the big guys, and they're asking less money for them than they used to uh, because they know that, you know, that's, it's there to be, that the, there's a market for it. People don't have 
months to get through a book. No, you, a book like The Stand is probably never going to happen again. Mm-hmm. You know, because it's just it takes you forever to get through. And by the t- and those are I don't know if any of the readers have ever, they're probably familiar with Stephen King very much. And uh, I found it a really frustrating series because I'm a slow reader, so it takes me six months to get through parts of it, and then all of a sudden he'd throw in a character that he mentioned like 900 pages ago, <laughs> and so I've got to go back and reread and try to find this thing so I know who's, who we're talking about now. And with the shorter book, you don't have that issue. So, you know, I, it's all right there. It's funny. Uh, you, you mentioned that reading longer books, and there was a time, uh, maybe 30, 35 years ago, when Ken Follett wrote these thick doorstop-sized books, and yeah. I loved them. I loved reading these multi-generational things, and, you know, it was great, but I don't anymore. I like I like short action adventures, and I know I'm I'm not alone in that. I'll, I'll see a book by an author that I, whose work I really enjoy, and I'll look at it and go, am I really willing to make that kind of commitment? Because if I start a book, I like to finish it. Right, right. And uh, that's happening a lot. Um, uh, when I was thinking about that, it's... Uh, Jr. has been really good about, you know, his, his series like his Sam Moon books are only they're only about forty five thousand words. He's about to make them a little bit longer because he's starting to write a little bit bigger books now than he was. And the book that we're going to be doing this fall is going to be probably about seventy five thousand words. But believe it or not, that's now the industry standard. Um, there are some others that still you know have the hundred thousand whatever. And I've got four books that are at least that big. Mm-hmm. But um, for the most part, it's. It's wasted time. I mean, a lot of that stuff I would I thought I plotted out well, and it, it made sense. But I have since seen readers that'll say, you know what, a lot of this stuff could have been cut out, because like you, they want and like me actually, they they want it now. They want the entire thing. They don't want to have this lull of thinking, okay, now we're slowing down. I'm going to fall asleep here, waiting for you to pick up again. <laughs> so um, it, I think, and with the younger generation. I mean, like my kids, mm-hmm. I mean, I'll just throw this in there because you probably can relate to it and probably a lot of readers can too, is that my kids are like, they're 20, 23 and 25 now. But when they were young, 15 years ago, they would be playing on their play on their game boxes with their little Game Boys in hand, have a movie going on in the background and playing. <laughs> and if you said, you know, you get frustrated and think, well, you're not even paying attention. They could tell you exactly what's going on. You know, it just that. So there's a that attention span. I think with our newer generations, is probably going to be even less as far as having the patience to sit through something. Yeah, I, I remember those days. Our kids are 27, and they were both the same. And I would just watch them going. It's inconceivable that they could actually be absorbing what's happening, but they did. And I, yeah. I, I still don't know how they did it. Um, yeah. you're very in touch with your readers. You, you're very open on Facebook. You're you're very welcoming to people. What kind of sense do you get uh, in, in terms of how your readers, your, your most, I don't know what the right term is, but your biggest fans, how willing are they to follow you through these, the different curves that you take with your books? The ones on Facebook always follow, it okay. seems like, because they're, you know, they're very interested in what I've got to say. And, and so, I mean, almost always. I mean, there's some that will just flat out tell you, I'm not into that and I'm not going to get it. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. I, I don't take any offense to any of it. Um, cause I figure, you know, it's all, we're all individuals. It's like being a cook. I mean, not everybody's going to like what you make. So I figure it's the same thing with, you know, with the books and stuff. If they don't, if it's not their fancy, um, I understand that cause there's not everything I like from everybody either. So you hope for it, you try to get some hype, but it, I always wanted an honest following anyway, 
because uh, then I can find out what's really working and what's not. So if they're not into it, um, then I don't want to spend too much time on it. Like with the, the Welcome to Denmark, there's three mm-hmm. or four more books to come. But the way it's going to work out, they're probably going to be very spread out. Um, I, I'm, I'm not going to do any at the meantime because it's time taken away from what people do want. So I have more focused on that right now. It's everything I've written this year is directed to you know doing well in the marketplace to where you know folks really like it. So I'm going to try to keep that whole thing. That that's going to be my perspective for now. And then if if I get a chance to go back and do these others, then I will. Yeah, it's great to be uh, artsy, but it's it's even better to pay the bills. Yes, and you have to be able to do that. And so you can't be too attached. I mean, like I said, I was disappointed because I really loved it. And we got to incorporate the area I live in. Uh, the witches actually get to live in this house where I'm at now. And I moved I moved the author somewhere else and made a different author than myself. But mm-hmm. it's a lot of fun. And I, I look forward to writing the next one. But I think it's, someone told yeah. me that that was the cover was actually your house. Is that is it that is. true? It is. That's kind of cool. Yeah. So it's a lot of fun that way. And um, you know, and I put it. It's basically a snarky kid from. He's a 19 year old from Chicago, but he's really 125. So it's it's just it's just really fun. <laughs> I, I, I I'm laughing about it now, thinking about it. And then the other books will be better. <laughs> the first one was a little slow because you're setting up everything. Because mm-hmm. there's a lot to explain and. And I think that might be it because, like, the action-adventure folks that like my stuff and like what you had mentioned, mm-hmm. that stuff's coming at you, you know, 100 miles an hour half the time. And, and then to slow down, it's like well, if people aren't able to get through those first 20 pages to get to know somebody, you know, then they're, they might be thinking, well, the rest of this stays really slow, and it doesn't. But it's, you know, things have got to start out fast to keep people's attention now, and, and I, I get that. So I'll, if- I'll, I'll Go ahead. Is there for you? Is there one particular you mentioned that, that some of these action adventure books are selling ten to one over mm-hmm. Welcome to Denmark? Is there a particular genre that that's just selling like crazy? That's maybe a quantifiably different than than other genres that you write in? Oh yes, I wish I could write dark romance. <laughs> 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 I do. I, I'll tell you right now that I wish I had that in me, and I don't. So uh-huh. I'm not even, I will never even attempt it. But uh, like my good friend uh, Pepper Winters, she's I was thinking of her when you said that. <laughs> yeah, she's one of the best in the world right now, uh-huh. and she's really good. I mean, things that people will never see. I've seen from her before that um, some paranormal romance that's just it's on the shelf for her. But I could see this girl's talent. She is so good. And if she ever decided to do something other than that, she'd be just as successful. She really would. But this is what, you know, she likes and, uh, and her following really likes it. And, and you know, you, you have a moment, of, I guess you'd say of envy, but I'm not ever envy. Because I, if you envy somebody, you have to envy everything. And when you envy their life, you're going to, you don't, the universe might give you what you don't want. Maybe mm-hmm. that person has a... You know, he's going to lose a leg in an accident in a week from now. And because you envied it, that's what you, that's the part you end up with. You didn't get the big, you know, million dollar, the, you know, boat or house or whatever. We got the other thing. So I kind of have that philosophy. But, you know, you look at that and you think, man, it'd be nice. But romance really has, has uh, dictated the business for a long, long time. Back in the day when I was doing this uh, hardcovers or, or paperbacks with a previous publisher where I met mm-hmm. JR. I had a book signing at a, a Barnes & Noble in Franklin, Tennessee, and I talked to the manager there at length, and the Harlequin books 
you know, the ones that nobody ever takes serious, right. was 70% of his business in that store. And that was when Harry Potter was at its height, um, Star Trek, all that stuff. Couldn't even touch it. So when this whole explosion that started with, uh, you know, Fifty Shades of Grey came along, it's not really that big a surprise to me that it just some type of raging fire spreading across the world. Well, and, it, it seems like the romance writers have been on the forefront of change in the business for quite a while. They're they're more willing yeah. to try new things than uh, other genre writers, and they're they're being richly rewarded for it right now. I think so too, and maybe it's because they were richly <laughs> abused for yes. a while. Yeah. No, no, everybody would say, oh, anybody can write that. And that's not true. It's just like anybody where I live, you know, out here in Tennessee, everybody thinks they can write a country song. Uh, <laughs> I know from experience that that's not the case because I tried. Okay. And let's, miserably. <laughs> let's, let's, uh, let's shift here. That's, that's a perfect transition point. Uh, you were originally a musician. I didn't realize it was country music because I've, I, we're going to play one of your songs here in a little bit. And uh, it's not country. No, I, I don't mean country. to be the one to have to tell you that, but I know you do a lot of different genres and things, but that's not country. No, and, and I could never. I had a, when I came to uh, Tennessee 25 years ago, um, I wanted to try to fit in because I, I did a little rockabilly out there in Denver. Mm-hmm. Um, it was more rock and roll that I was doing, but when I got out here, uh, I ended up joining a heavy metal band. And so the stuff you hear now is very similar to what I was doing back then. And then when. Uh, yeah, I married my wife. When we got married, we uh, I had a lot of contacts in the music industry that were country, and I tried to write country, and it came out sounding like the Honey Drippers because my voice was very <laughs> Robert Plantish, you know, and that kind of thing, and it just wasn't going to work. So, um, you know, I had uh, some of the guys that are that had big hits. One guy that wrote a big hit for Garth Brooks, one of my songs, he loved and used to play it all the time, but. He told uh, his girlfriend, who was actually my sister-in-law at the time, mm-hmm. and he'd say, um, "You know, I, it just—it's just not country. It's not going to happen." So, <laughs> well, I when when you released, you're part of a band called the Dead Hollywood Stuntmen. Yes, and when you're when you released it, I bought the CD or the the music on uh, iTunes, made a CD from it, and was playing it in the car. And my wife got in the car and she looked at me because I don't—I'm not a I don't listen to rock music when she's around. And yeah. she looked at me and said, what are you listening to? And I said, you got to listen. It's really good. <laughs> and so oh, we did listen you. for a while, and she enjoyed it. So we're going to play. This is, this is a first for the author biz. We're going to play music, and we're going to play a little bit of the original version of Break Me Down. This is from the album Shut Up and Enjoy the Ride. And we're going. You also did an acoustic version of this that yes. I'm going to use to end the show with. So, people listening, uh, stay tuned for my blather at the end when I wrap everything up, and then we're going to close the show with the acoustic version of "Break Me Down." But this is the uh, the little harder version. So, uh, hang on. We're going to play probably about a minute or so worth. Better from 
I love it. Well, thank you. <laughs> I don't know if the recording actually picked that up. I'm gonna I'm gonna get the fresh music and stick it in there so that the listeners can can get a a good clean version of it. Okay. Um, but I really enjoy that, and I really enjoyed, and I know my wife would enjoy the acoustic version. But that was your voice we heard there, right? Yes, yes, that's me singing all the parts. Actually, all the all the vocals are me. Really, I didn't realize that. I thought you were just the lead. I didn't know you were the whole thing. Oh yeah, that was the whole thing. <laughs> and, and then constant when we were out playing live, then the band they they sing the backups and stuff. So, and why the acoustic version? I'm just curious. Uh, we just thought we might try something different. Actually, we have a, another song that's really cool. It's called "Burned." That's also acoustic. Uh-huh. And because um, we have the we have the you know both versions of that song, and uh, that that acoustic one is one of my favorites. I actually like that version to where I wouldn't mind if it ended up on a record. Because um, Marty uh, put a little more arrangement into it, so you got little horns and other things to where it's almost, uh, uh, gosh, it's um, sounding like Middle Eastern almost. It's just really, really cool. Now you mentioned Marty. That's Marty Pelto. Yes. Okay, and I'm I'm going to link to the music. I'm going to link to the acoustic stuff that uh, people can find. I found it on um, YouTube. Is that yes. that's the best place to find this? That's probably. I mean, the, the those songs aren't on Spotify. Only the regular okay. album is. The regular okay. album's on there, and uh, you know, of course, iTunes and Amazon and that sort of thing. But the uh, the acoustic ones are just that because it's you know we're not sure what we're going to do with them. There's more writing going on right now. I haven't really been involved in it yet. I mean, there was a song that I wanted to do, but it's so complicated. We don't know if the band can play it. <laughs> so, because Marty is amazing, a musician. He um, he he won the Nashville Shred concert uh, contest a couple years ago, and he's always been a finalist in it. All right, now so I'm not sure what that means. So that's that's being able to play. Uh, it's basically sponsored by Steve Vai, and the winner of it gets to open up for him. So he got to open up for Steve Vai in Knoxville. In uh, back in uh, 2012 or 13, I think I'm trying to remember here. It was 2013. He got to do that, and then we did the. Mm-hmm. We got together in 2014. Well, Aiden, you know you're getting dangerously close to the most interesting man in the world territory with all these cool <laughs> things that you're doing. Oh, thank you. <laughs> this has been an absolute joy to uh, to to speak with you. I, I enjoy your music. I love your books. What's the best way for people to follow you? Uh, the best way would be on Facebook. Uh, there's three, actually. There's a Aiden James author, um, which is my main one. Uh, then, uh, then I have an actual official page, you know, because we all have to have those. And mm-hmm. that's Aiden James, um, paranormal action adventure, action adventure author. So it's kind of a long one. And then um, then there's also a, a fan page on Facebook where I usually pretty much throw things to begin with there. Uh, it's not a really big one, but it is fun. And then uh, on Twitter, it's Aiden James 3. And also I do have a website, and it's AidenJamesFiction.com. Um, so 
And, and uh, I will link to all of that, as well okay. as your Amazon author page in the show notes. The show notes will be at theauthorbiz.com slash Aiden, and that's A-I-D-E-N. So theauthorbiz.com slash Aiden. Aiden, this has been great. Thank you so much for your time and for the oh, education. I really appreciate your time, Stephen, and thank you so very much. I mean that. So, wasn't that just fantastic? It's inspiring to hear all of the different writing projects Aiden has going on right now. His willingness to write not only his own stuff, but to write in the style of others, and to have others write in his style was really eye-opening. I'll have a link to Aiden's website as well as his Amazon author page in the show notes. It's worth clicking through just to get a sense of the breadth of his writing. And finally, if you like what we're doing here at The Author Biz, please skip on over to iTunes and give the show a rating or a review. And if you'd like to get everything we do, head on over to the website at theauthorbiz.com and subscribe to the email list. You'll see the form on the top right of the site. Now, as promised... We're closing the show with Aiden James singing the acoustic version of Break Me Down by the Dead Hollywood Stuntmen. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week. Dark eyes, lion, she knows me well. Naughtiness stirs my heart Sultry lines mark the path to hell Should have known better from the start I'm just a fool Who heeds the siren call of night Stone curse of Medusa She's got me in her sights Not just once she'll let you in When you leave she'll own your soul Fooled me twice my wage of sin Blissful lust can fill the hole I'm just a fool Who heeds the siren call of night Stone curse of Medusa She's got me in her sights Tearing my heart like I knew you would Why don't you break me down Cutting with a knife like a bad girl should Why don't you break me Start like I knew you would Why don't you break me down Lay a mean lie like a beggar could Why don't you break me down So I've become your puppet man Held by strings by every move But in the end you'll understand The table switch, then you lose I'm just a fool Who heeds the 
siren call of night Stone curse of Medusa She's got me in her sights Tearing my heart like I knew you would Why don't you break me down Cutting with a knife like a bad girl should Why don't you break me down Scheme from the start like I knew you Just a fool who heeds the siren call of night Stone curse of Medusa She's got me in her sights Medusa, she's got me in her side. 